Hello and welcome to the IFSEC Global Security in Focus podcast, where we bring you exclusive interviews with leading figures in the physical security industry to get to the heart of the profession. Thank you for joining us for episode 11 of the Security in Focus podcast with me, James Moore, editor of IFSEC Global. I hope everyone's doing well and has enjoyed the first few months of 2023. It's been a busy one for the security sector, as as it always is, not least with Intersecond Dubai in January, ISC West in March for many of you, I'm sure, in Vegas. And I hope everyone had a good time there, by the way. But also with the big one, with IFSEC coming up in May in London. I will hope to see as many of you there as possible. And please do come and say hello to us. I may well be running around all over the place at the show over the three days, but but we'll also have a dedicated IFSEC Global stand to come and drop by if you do get a chance. Speaking of the show, today's guest will also be speaking at IFSEC, and he'll be on the Tech Talks Theatre at 11.30 on Wednesday the 17th of May. And I'm delighted to bring you today an exclusive interview with Lee Odess for today's episode. Don't worry, we're not spoiling too much for Lee's talk at IFSEC, so I definitely still recommend you joining for that session. But today's chat provides some really interesting insight into the physical access control sector. Firstly though, some Lee facts for you. Lee is a renowned global influencer, thought leader, consultant, speaker and author, and he spent his career in the access control technology sector. Now, he says he's pushing the boundaries of what access control really means, believing that security goes well beyond the front door and can better enable spaces to deliver innovative resident experiences and future-proof buildings. As Lee puts it, the access control industry is in the midst of change. It is no longer only about keeping bad people out, it is also about letting the right people in and going beyond just locking and unlocking. That leaves us plenty to talk about then. And over the course of the discussion, we explore various things. Uh, For instance, why the access control industry is so exciting and the tight-knit community it has produced over the years. We also talk about how big tech is impacting the market and what this means for end users, integrators, and particularly the traditional vendors in the sector. How are they disrupting this space and what can the security sector do about it? Just before we get into the episode, however, let's hear from IFSEC Global's own Rihanna Sexton with a couple of news highlights from around the industry in March. Thanks, James. Hi, everyone. I'm Rihanna, and this is the latest news from IFSEC Global. First up, the UK's Centre for the Protection of National Infrastructure, or CPNI, has evolved to become the National Protective Security Authority, also known as the NPSA. The responsibilities of the NPSA will have a broader remit with new areas covered, including research and academia, emerging technologies, public places, and engineering and manufacturing. The news was announced as part of the government's integrated review, published on Monday the 13th of March by UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. Also in the news, updates to the Manchester Arena inquiry concludes as Volume 3 highlights significant missed opportunities. On the 2nd of March, Chairman of the Inquiry, Sir John Saunders, released his final volume of the report, which focused on three topics. The radicalisation of the bomber, Salman Abidi, the planning and preparation for the attack, and the preventability of the attack. Experts and witnesses of the inquiry relevant to this volume included representatives from local schools and colleges, Abidi's friends and associates, as well as members of the MI5 and counter-terrorism policing. So, back to the episode. 
We start by hearing about Lee's experience in access control and how he's witnessed the sector change over that time. Interestingly, especially as social media has grown in influence. My name is Leo Dess. I live in Bethesda, Maryland, so just right outside of Washington, D.C. I focus on the access control and smart lock industry, and my journey started actually way back. A company called Lutron Electronics. I started actually in lighting controls, but there's a lot of parallels that went into that market to here. But fast forward, had an integration company, worked for Brevo pre-sale to where Dean Draco has it now, worked with a company called Unikey, Allegion. I had my own consulting company, which was then acquired by Latch. And then lastly, went back on my own after being at Latch for a handful of months to, again, focus on the access control and smart lock industry from a global standpoint. I'm a firm believer that our industry has a hard time really telling stories, if you would, for today and tomorrow. And my entire desire is to help build community as well as have a discussion around where things are going within our industry. I do that through the Access Control Executive Brief, which is something I write a couple times a month. We have a Slack group of Access Control and Smart Lock nerds that get on and talk about that stuff globally. And then a lot of people recently have seen, created a topology map of the entire industry, which has roughly about 360 companies identified across a, a wide variety of categories within our space. Interesting. So you've been lots of different companies, but primarily in access control by the sounds of it. With the community you mentioned, have you seen that grow because of social media or was it already there? It just needed a sort of place or, is, you know, events and conferences or is it a mixture of all of the above, really? Yeah, it's really a mixture of all the above. I think it's a great example of the change in the way that our industry discovers, communicates, and gets together. And, and also, I think it's a, a desire of people have around belonging. It's interesting to me to think that a lot of what we do outside of work, we don't think impacts work too, but this desire to find like-minded people to have a discussion about the industry, and in some cases, when I say like-minded, it's not a bunch of people that just agree with each other all day long. It's actually a desire to have a conversation. The other thing is, is this sort of the curiosity of finding new brands and thinking outside of just where historically we waited till IFSEC or IC West or one of the shows, right, to, to go to, to do that networking, to do discovery. Now it's far more dynamic where you still do that, but you also learn from your peers communicating online. It may be social media like LinkedIn, where I spend a good amount of my time. And then also through smaller groups that can create community in that sense. So there's a sense of belonging and a sense of ongoing education, if you would, around uh, who you are, what you like, and what's out there in the marketplace. I think that's quite unique to the security sector in that we can't always talk too openly about some of the things that we do on a day-to-day basis or, or that certainly some of the higher professionals do. Is that perhaps one reason you think that these communities play such a big role in the sector and Second to that, I, I found that a lot of people join the sector, they don't necessarily realise they were going to go into it when they were younger, and then they never leave it because there is this sort of, I guess, potentially sense of community. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, the first part, I I, I believe that's a, a, a false narrative in, in some ways to where, in reason being is, historically, our industry has been predominantly high security. And I'll speak specifically just to access control, but I do believe it it's, relates to other areas where these old truths of our industry have been around things like it's high security so we can't talk about it it's also the you know the same reason why people say we can't have convenience in our industry it's you know it's only about security and 
that is true in certain verticals, but that's not true everywhere. And as our industry goes more mainstream, which is happening currently right now in access control and smart locks, new truths get introduced that challenge the old truths. And it doesn't mean that the old truths don't exist anymore. We have to you know, kind of get away from a binary view of the world and say that they can both exist. And that's where, so if I take it back to numbers, which people like, the high security industry, Omdi, as always said, is about $10 billion. And we can argue whether I believe that that's the true number or not. That's fine. It's a, an agreed upon number that people look at. The study that we did, we saw that it's a $70 billion market. And the reason being is this new world that opened up because of software, which historically we've not had. It's always been about hardware and the security. So if I was to take those same ideas, I, I bet you I could apply them to a bunch of things. One being the way that we communicate and talk as an industry, we need to move beyond this idea that it's high security so we can't say anything to anybody because there's this great desire, especially as it moves into mainstream, for really good storytelling and conversations and to be open a little bit more than we've historically been, which also leads to, like you've asked, yeah, I, I believe that does drive some of the desire to have a community, but it did exist before. I mean, you've had groups, whether they're specification groups that get together, alarm company groups that get together, you know, the conferences and that that go on have always been historically that where you would, you would come together and we, you know, we kind of did it where, you know, all the, the shows had the, the tags that said speaker or, you know, certification, like, that's, you know, ASIS has where you're a CPP or whatever it might be. Those are all the exact same things that we've had historically before. A lot of it, though, has shifted online, which is wonderful because, you know, just like I had a call last night, 10 p.m. my time with a company in Australia that theoretically would have probably been hard for him and I to, to sort of discover each other to, to spark a conversation. But because of online, we were able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And that is, that is something that online communities thrive on in the fact that it, it becomes so much more globalized, much like the, you know, the economy has and, and everything else that goes with it. I don't know if I would be able to have the business that I have right now. If you think about it, because the access control in the security industry is a niche. And if it wasn't for the online capabilities and my, my opportunity to speak freely online and drive people into a community that where they could see it sort of come together, you know, I think it's a, another example of old truths versus new truths, where our industry is just starting to recognize, and, and I'll give you all what I, I like, where you recognized, not just because I was recognized once for the, the influencer side of that, and it's a new tag that I think people are starting to get used to, but it does recognize the influence that people have that do tell stories and do drive community together and the importance around it. That's why I do think it's critical because I think we need to do more of that. It also allows for more diversity and inclusion. It allows for more young professionals because let's be real, our industry has been predominantly white male like myself, and it has predominantly been older in our industry. This evens the playing field in a lot of ways because the internet, it's an impact of software and the internet have had on our industry that we don't really talk about because we like to talk about hinged doors and blue blinky lights and the technical product side. But another influence of the software and internet is the fact that it's sort of forced people to be good storytellers and it's given the opportunity for those that are a stage to have a conversation that we might not have had before. Yeah, it's putting people in, in that kind of spotlight, in that limelight that 
maybe they wouldn't have, as you say, wouldn't have had the opportunity to do. Seeing lots of different people doing lots of different things, and it kind of shows the next generation how exciting this industry can be, I think. And we'll ironically go to that sort of techie side now, in that you obviously, your, your focus is in physical access control. Why access control? Which is just something that you kind of fell into. And, and next kind of question would be, with your experience, is there one key trend at the moment that you're seeing or witnessing in, in the in the access control space? So why access control for me was, I had a counterpart when I had my integration company focused on the audio video lighting control industry and commercial automation. Uh, I had a security guy that I worked with. His name is Miles Fawcett. He owned a company called Urban Alarm, which was sold to Castle along the way. He introduced me to to Steve Van Til over at Brevo and Steve brought me in. And, and frankly, I would say I found a community there that I saw an opportunity to to think about where things were going. It was early cloud, early APIs. We were doing things like integrations with Google Glass when they first came out and Salesforce. And we were allowed to really think differently about the industry. And I would say that is what sort of pushed me in this sort of path that I'm going on currently now. Same thing when I was at Lutron, we were first to do radio frequency lighting control brought into a a marketplace that was predominantly wire and switches and all of a sudden we're now talking about different technology so i would say from the beginnings of my existence within working has been around sort of where markets are going and then i saw an opportunity frankly with the access control industry that not a lot of people were focused on from a where the industry is going and there was a sort of a need for it especially when i started my first consulting company on these types of topics and wrote a book called The Six Phase Changes Shaping Access Control. It was really during the pandemic that I saw an acceleration of needing to have a conversation, trying to drive a conversation around an uncertain time, trying to at least generate that debate, if you would, about where things are going so that you can plan and you can think. Also identifying trends that were existing prior to COVID and then were accelerated throughout. I just saw that as an opportunity to, to tell a story online that wasn't being done before, and I, I just went after it. So if I was to fast forward to where trends are at currently right now, you know, one of the largest trends I talked initially about was the idea that you have the market going from a, a high security horizontal play where the access control systems were platforms, which is still existing. But as you move into like commercial real estate or you move into uh, multifamily, residential, if you move into life sciences and really the enterprise, we're starting to see vertical solutions being driven by software and hardware that's created to support that, which is different because the trend before was I had hardware and I had software that supported it because I went from, you know, a motorized, well, first mechanical, then motorized, then connected to where now things need to be smart and they need to have unique value propositions because I have a new stakeholder when the mobile phone now comes into play that is called the end user that historically is an access control industry I never really cared about. I mean, I did because I protected them and I kept bad people out. But now overnight, it's shifted to letting the right people in. And it had to be very specific to those verticals that were there. You couldn't call. Well, frankly, a lot of our access control systems didn't even have the category of people they were cards and fobs. Now, all of a sudden, I had to do that. So you waterfall that. There's like things like user experience all of a sudden is important. I'm seeing things like notification. I mean, I, again, I go back to the conversation I had last night with the gentleman uh, from a company in Australia. I'm seeing deep vertical solutions that are 
solving real nuanced and minutiae problems. It also introduces mega techs or big tech, depending on where you live in the world, into our industry that, you know, they've always kind of been there. But now, especially in access control, they're full throat into our, you've seen now with Apple Wallet, you've seen Google Wallet, NXP to go. It's no longer just Bluetooth and it's no longer building an app to be like a remote control of the piece of hardware. It's now a unique experience that is delivering convenience into the mix that also elevates security where historically before there was tension between convenience and security. Now there's an interplay between the two of them. It's something that you mentioned earlier have seen happening quite a lot. And it's something that we've seen happening quite a lot in some of the trend reports that we do on Set Global is this emergence of, of convenience being super important to end users for, for who, when they're looking at specifying or implementing new access control systems. You know, security is obviously number one priority, as it always will be. But the convenience is important both for their users in terms of people coming into the building every day, the employees, also for the operators, I suppose, who are looking after the, the, the access management systems and also for visitors. You know, we've, you've got that emergence of QR codes and mobile technology that's coming into play. You obviously mentioned the role of big tech here. There's also, I've seen this emergence of almost uh, prop tech platforms that kind of connect to the building management systems. Is that something that you're seeing as well? And how much of a sort of impact is this having on, on how security professionals are having to think about access control? Yeah, I mean, so do I see it 100%. So I chair the PropTech Advisory Board for SIA, which is a group of around 80 companies and individuals that participate in generating content and building bridges into the PropTech community. So we do some thought leadership, education, and networking as a group. And it's one of the, you know, I would say fastest growing groups within the, uh, or active groups within SIA um, because of the emergence of what you said on that end and a couple things that that you brought up, I would agree. So the convenience side is because if, like let's take let's take a quick backstory that go forward. So if you think about access control founded in 1973 around the idea around high security, keeping bad people out, you know, there was whether it was companies wanting to keep people away from IP, or was because people wanted, you know, the government side, they wanted to keep people out because of bad things can happen. So fast forward up until, you know, well, I mean, say you have Lockerbie happen, you have 9-11 happen. Those are all big events in our industry that have brought new technology. But if you think about them, those are all still within high security. So paradigm shift really didn't change. New things were introduced into it. Some bleed over into like commercial real estate and the rest, like for instance, on visitor management, all of a sudden people were asked to show their ID where historically before you were able to show business cards, if anything, to get into it. So you saw some progress, but still high security on that end. So we applied the same systems for military and the same systems for hospitals and airports into commercial real estate arrest. Fast forward again to all of a sudden you have the introduction of software and then really the manifestation of the iPhone as a representation of software into something that could be used our industry got impacted by that with things like BYOD, bring your own device in, whether it was even back to the uh, Blackberries and, and bringing it in to be able to do that, but really lightly, because again, our, our industry was predominantly cards and fobs at that point. End users in our system were just, you know, numbers. They weren't actually, you know, I, we'd like to say they were stick figures. There was no meat on their bones. Fast forward into COVID, frankly, and really before that, 
you saw changes happening. But I would say you saw resistance from our industry because we've always said, hey, leave security alone. We'll take care of it. Leave access control alone. And really, when our value proposition as an industry was, you know, did anybody die today? They're like, nope. We're like, cool. Don't need to change budgets. Don't need to change anything. You know, maybe they added on a building or they added on something like they turned a closet into an office. So they needed another reader on the wall or there was a lightning strike that happened, you know, because a hurricane came through Florida. So they all of a sudden had a or a typhoon, whatever. So I had to update the systems or whatever. But really, there wasn't a lot of advancement, a lot of change on that end. Well, now, all of a sudden, when going through COVID and I would even say there's a, a higher level of engagement that is being asked for. And frankly, you're seeing whether it's engagement in the enterprise or you're seeing engagement seen as tenant experience. You know, I had a commercial real estate large portfolio manager worldwide say, I'm now in the hospitality business. Like I, I, he wasn't in the, the building business anymore. He's in hospitality. And there's a lot of pressures with whether it's work tech, going back to work, return to the office, whatever the buzzwords that you want to do. Now you have people looking at space as a service and the systems have to be able to work different that are use cases that frankly go completely counter to what the ethos of our industry was, was keeping bad people out. So now I have to let the right people in. And if that experience isn't good, and if I'm only coming to the office two days a week and it sucks, I'm going to complain to the HR department that I don't feel like I'm actually supposed to be here or it's a bad look, you know, like the CEO walks in and can't get into the building. What used to be a feature that we celebrated can't get in like, good, it's working. I'd rather a default that way is now seen as a bad thing. And I do believe that's where we'll start to see systems rip and replace systems and prices go down, increase because you have a software now revenue stream. Like there's a lot that goes into, into that, that are driving prop tech. The other thing I would say from the prop tech side is you're having a lot of systems that, yeah, they're like building management, but I would put smart buildings in a different category than the prop tech tenant engagement type applications because it's what you what I think you're seeing there is two things. Number one, a desire to have a system of record. So whether it's logically system of record, pay system of record, or accessing the building system of record, there's a desire to have an interplay between the three of those. And I think you'll start to see people, they realize that if I am the system of record, I hold, I hold power. So they're going after the people being in their system. Now, what a lot of these tenant experience applications come to realize is ordering lattes is cute. Getting into my building is a necessity. You know, getting on the Wi-Fi is a necessity. Reserving a space, okay. But if I can't get into the building, I'm not going to reserve the space. So a lot of these companies, you start to see bleed into what has historically been the access control platforms. The problem our industry has is we have not spent enough time on APIs. We've not spent enough time on user experience application front end. Like most of our engineers were the people that built the app that people used. Not saying that that you know engineers are bad, but there's really there's an art and a science around building good user experience applications that you see these companies that come into it that don't have the deep roots into security are able to put together a really good looking app. I do think though. Sorry, it's a long one, but I do think, okay. though, that there's the companies that are two feet in security have an opportunity to command the space that, that they are in, because I do think when it comes down to it, security will always matter more than convenience. It's just no longer that 
you can't have convenience and security. Like that's changed. And we need to move on as an industry from that and apply good security practices always, but then know when to apply convenience with security. Like it's just a different art form than what has been historically done as an industry. Hello listeners, it's that time of year again. Registration is now open for the leading events in the security, fire and safety professions taking place at London's XL between the 16th to the 18th of May. You can secure your ticket for IFSEC, FireX, Safety and Health Expo and Facility Show now. There's a link in the description of this podcast to register or you can find out more by visiting their respective websites. IFSEC is celebrating its 50th birthday in 2023 and will feature the distributor network for the very first time alongside a separate conference on the incoming protect duty legislation. Plus, the Converse Security Centre and LPCB attack testing zone and plenty more will all return as usual. And don't forget, travel has never been easier too, with the new Elizabeth line meaning that travel between XL and Central London takes just 15 minutes. Get it in your calendar early and register today. For the second half, we start off by asking Lee about how the traditional security industry, which has always dominated the access control space in the past, can combat the emergence of big tech, or, or what should it be doing about it? What do vendors and systems integrators need to think about in the next five to 10 years, for instance? Before we even get to the product, I think we need to have more leadership as an industry versus management. I think we've had sort of a bull run as an industry for quite a while, and we have a bunch of people, especially at the larger big public companies, that don't have the courage nor the leadership capabilities to make hard decisions to frankly say, you know what, I know I may be growing eight to 12%, but this is really a 30 to 40% market opportunity. And we're gonna have to kill some things or do some things or hire some new people, whatever it may be. But that sort of leadership capability of an industry to sort of frankly, just like stop and recognize that there's been a fundamental shift in our industry or make a real leadership opportunity also and say, you know what, we're not going to go after that because that's not our target market, which then will open up more opportunity for companies that will to go after. So I would say it starts with mindset, EQ, and courage and leadership of an industry. The second part is I think we need to just stop the garbage as an industry of these sort of old truths only exist and anything that's new is seen as bad. Like this idea that we like we like to say, oh, you know, we're a slow industry and it's security. It's like, come on, get over yourself. I actually think it's a level of shows just you know, lack of emotional intelligence in some cases as an industry that we can't actually have two conversations at the same time. Like we can. I just think it scares some people that have been around for a while that the cheese has moved. And the reality is if you would just like, you know, do a trust fall with some of us, I think you'll find that there are. Just like I need to not push it as far as I like to go with some of these things because there is a case of high security need. So, uh, you know, I think we need to have one leg in the old, one leg in the new on that side. I do believe at that point too, we need to start to have more of an ecosystem conversation and see that as a, as a channel than historical channel that we've had, which is the historical channel has always been how our product moved through the market and it's predominantly you know, attached to installing hardware, where with this new world, it's about enterprise software. There's There may or may not be a hardware installation that has to happen because it could be existing or or new construction. So 
what I need to do now is take a, a, a new look at how my product flows to market, how it's priced, how I communicate, how I build, all of that stuff, which is different than what we've historically done in the past. I would say the, the last one that I'll mention is, uh, well, two. Number one, I think we need to look at the systems integrator channel as something very different than the security integrator channel. We've historically called system integrators people that take camera systems and integrate them with access control systems, very inside the industry, which is not wrong. That's a security integrator, though. A systems integrator that we've seen is someone who focuses on, if you look outside the industry, that works with people like Oracle, Cisco, ServiceNow, Salesforce. These are enterprise software people. We like to talk about IT convergence. I actually think we do that again because it's close to home and we feel better and you know it, it, it doesn't threaten us as much. But if we really to think about it, I actually think what we have is enterprise software integration now. And that's why we need to be open to new channels like SIs and ISVs uh, that are there. And then lastly, one that I'm writing about right now, actually, in the middle of writing it is, there's an introduction into a new specifier in our industry that we didn't have before. When you look at commercial real estate, we saw a little bit of it in multifamily. I think we're, gonna, we're starting to see a lot more of it. The enterprise is starting to see it. There's these new specifiers that actually worked for these enterprise companies and have worked for these commercial real estate developers and the multifamily developers that were heads of innovation. And they were through this journey with us as an industry where they were actually making the product selections with the integrators or the manufacturers. Well, I'm finding there's a lot of them that have gone and said, you know what? I could service this industry a lot better than the security industry can because I know the language, I've got the reputation, I've got the relationships. And also I have the knowledge of understanding enough of what's going on where I can even bring in the security industry if I needed to. So there's actually a new stakeholder that's specifying systems that our industry isn't even paying attention to in a lot of ways because you know they're not necessarily showing up at the same watering holes that we've been going to for many, many years. And I think we need to, to wake up as an industry and start to, to realize that these people are actually legitimate channels that need to be loved and hugged and resources brought to take advantage of. Otherwise, a whole new group of players are going to be introduced and we're going to be playing catch up. And that's the difference between that $10 billion market and that $70 billion market, which is predominantly around software. Do you think that's a different strategy that you know security systems integrators might need to take then? Yes. You know, they might need to move into the, the AV market or the AV market move into security, for example. Yep. But then you're looking at that kind of whole enterprise solution. How do they do that? Or is that, you know, the golden the golden question? Yeah. No, I think they do because I actually think the enterprise software marketplace is going to come even more into our market. So, yes. And again, keep in mind, this is not a binary conversation. This is an and, not an or. So for every one that you can show me that is, or that I can show you that is, you can show me that isn't. It doesn't mean that it's not true because I'm seeing it and people are seeing it. But yeah, I would say getting curious of taking a hard look at your business and saying, you know, what do I want to do? <laughs> and and then going out and, you know, like full disclosure, my wife works at ServiceNow and they're, you know, they've got like, they're trying to get like a million people signed up to be integrators of their systems that they have on that end. So there's education opportunities that do exist out there to get more qualified, if you would, in uh, the ability to to offer these solutions. And then I would take a look at the, you know, what market are you in? Who do you serve? You know, work tech isn't everywhere. I mean, I think that there's 
opportunities to to stay within what you're doing. But I would just show more curiosity towards those other marketplaces and, and frankly, figure out how to weave some of these things in. Oh, very interesting. And and there's definitely that shift of the security industry. I think of, of, it's starting to look outside of, of its kind of box a little bit. And that's that's true for, for vendors. They're looking to get into new markets because they're seeing different specifiers. But that's also seems to be true for, for the systems integrators as well, who, who, yeah, as you say, maybe previously have just been security systems integrators, but are now looking to evolve and um, move into the BMS you know, market where, where everything's linked up. Um, we've obviously talked a lot about access control and, and, and tech here. I know you're going to be you're going to be talking at IFSEC in May this year in London. Is this the topic that you're going to be talking about or what, what, what should visitors expect to see from that talk? The uh, talk we're going to have is specifically around the influence of big tech in the industry. So taking a look at what does it mean? And frankly, I want to spend more time on the secondary effects than the primary. Because the primary, it's pretty straightforward. You know, if you look at, sure, you know, Apple Wallet or Google Wallet or NXP's wallet is going to give you the ability to, you know, instead of a key, it's now in your phone. Great. I get it. But then let's talk about, though, what are the secondary effects that they're going to have? What does that unlock? No pun intended. But like now that I have that, what other opportunities exist? What does it mean downflow to the integrator channel, right? Like now that I've got a more mainstream message going out, what does that mean to their business when their customers are frankly going to be looking for this thing when they've historically controlled the flow of, of information into the marketplace? Well, that's now completely changed with the introduction of these megatechs on that side. I also think what it does is it opens up some new opportunities that didn't exist before. If you take a look at the business, there's a real opportunity to focus on how industries transform from a digital transformation. So you have an opportunity to be a contractor that helps drive digital transformation. What does that mean? You know, what it means is like fundamental things like, I don't know, having a good website. <laughs> like that's one thing where historically you haven't necessarily needed that because it was very reputation driven. Well, now if I'm discovering online, there's an SEO need that you have as an integrator and it's an opportunity because, you know, so if, if you take a look at it, I don't know what they called them in, in London, but here in the States, when COVID happened, there was a real push for essential people to be out in the market when everyone couldn't leave. So we as an industry had an opportunity to relabel this important channel that we have being the integrator channel or distribution, whatever it may be, whatever you call it, wherever you're at. To all of a sudden, now we've had this group that has been sort of crowned essential. Well, what are they going to do now to help drive the change? And I do believe there's an opportunity because of the megatext being introduced that opens up a world that that didn't exist six months ago. Yeah, the uh, I think we 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 called them key workers for a lot of a lot of that period, but essential workers, you know, same same thing, and and certainly security was was, was included within that over here in the UK after some push from the associations like the BSIA and people like that. One thing that we're talking about quite a lot, both from an event space perspective, but also from an industry perspective, is is how tech can play a role in building a more sustainable industry or sustainable sector, or how tech can help departments like security contribute to their organizational sustainability credentials. Is access control a part of this? And, and if so, how so? If we speak specifically to ESG, 
as sort of the the push or, or the the house that that houses uh, the environmental, societal, and governance side of things. You know, I think as an industry, we we have somewhat of a weak story around energy efficiency. Like, there's some things, sure, like I don't know, when people are out of the office, you turn lights off and and whatnot. Sure, I think that's there. The bigger opportunity I think we have as an industry is the S side, the societal impact. Because I think you can do a direct line to if people feel safe and are safe, innovation increases, GDP increases. You just see a livelier community if they feel and are safe. And it's an area that we can, as an industry, tell a better story about. It's also an area that I believe we can quantify. So the same way that here in the states and some counties and in some cities you go into, they have a rating on the wall that says that this is a cleanliness of A versus a cleanliness of F. And you as a consumer walk in, you're like, oh, I get it. Or I I actually think that we can have a conversation that some buildings and spaces based off of the security practices that they have at a higher level of safety than others as just an example. But I do think it impacts buildings. I think it impacts cities. I think it impacts states. I think it then impacts countries to where we as an industry should command that space that is there for us to tell a better story, but it's going to be a different story because I don't think the total cost of ownership story that we like to tell as an industry is going to work there. I think it's a ROI, return on investment story that says, hey, by you installing and putting these systems and using this software and these practices, it increases your safety posture in this marketplace, which means you have a direct impact of 3% of GDP, whatever. You pick whatever the math number is. I don't know what it is, but I have to believe that our industry has impacted the society in places that do have good practices or good security postures heavily into whether, again, it's innovation, health and wellness. I mean, we talk about health and wellness and societal side. Any industry that reports ESG right now, they talk about how they take care of their employees, which is great, and they still should. But we don't talk about then how we help and take care of the citizens and the people that visit and come and live in the spaces that our products are protecting. We just don't talk about that. Only when it's bad. We only do it when it's bad. Like it's all over the news when it's bad, which is fair. But there's a counter conversation that needs to happen around the impacts that we have on a positive standpoint by people applying our great industry to their structures. The amount of work that goes into securing the safety of not just employees, but also visitors, as you say, is huge. And I see it in conversations I have around the last few years, I've been in the sector, it plays a really important role and it goes under the radar most of the time, which is as security professionals generally are absolutely fine that that is the case. But I think there is, as you say, there is there is an important point there to be made that is contributing to far more than just a kind of a number or a figure. There's an, an impact multiplier, if you will, to what security professionals do and what security technology is doing. Just one more question. And you did mention this earlier, but you run this executive brief on access control, I believe. What exactly is it and what can members expect to receive if they sign up? I write a brief that gets emailed. Think of it like it's a newsletter twice a month. The promise is once a month, but I can't help myself, so I write it twice. And it's really about things I'm seeing in the marketplace, trying to synthesize what's going on to make an actionable view of the industry for people that are saying, you know what, so this is what the ISVSI, maybe a starter point conversation for people internally. That's what I write on a a monthly basis. It also comes with that Slack group 
that we talked about where there's a community online for people to connect and then also anything else that I create. So that topology map, we're doing some in-person type stuff as well. You know, it's, it's really, it's a community. So the access control executive brief is the written part of that community. Welcome back and a huge thanks to Lee Erdes for joining us and sharing his expertise and insight into the world of physical access control technology. It's a super interesting field, I think, and a really key part of the, of the entire physical security industry. But really interesting to listen to the evolution that access control has been on, how it's perhaps witnessing its biggest shift in processes and platforms on offer that the industry has ever seen at present. Prop tech, big tech, whatever it might be, there's no doubt that there are going to be disruptors coming into the access control sector in the coming years. Traditional security access control will remain, of course, but convenience is becoming such an important consideration from purchases in today's world. We've actually run several access control surveys to fill out our trend reports in the last few years, and that's always been a key takeaway. We've got a new one coming out towards the end of April, and do keep your eye out for it because it's, it's got just as much interesting stuff in there as the last ones. But as a bit of a sneak preview, some of the key pullout points include the importance the professionals are now placing on open architecture and standards for a more flexible and interoperable system. Exactly what we talked about in that episode about APIs and that evolution. We also asked specifically about the biggest advantage people viewed mobile credentials in bringing their organization. The number one response, convenience unsurprisingly, perhaps, after listening to Lee for the last half an hour. There's plenty more where today's discussion came from too. As I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, all the way back half an hour ago, Lee will be speaking on the IFSEC Tech Talks Theatre at 11.30 a.m. on Wednesday the 17th of May at London's XL. So grab your ticket, come join us, meet Lee in person. There's a link in the episode description of this podcast alongside some other links of our recent trend reports and access control. Uh, for you to book your ticket on. So do take a look if you get a chance. But for now, that's all from this episode of the Security in Focus podcast. This has been a podcast from IFSEC Global. Don't forget to follow us on all of the social media platforms you're on to keep up with the latest in the industry. Thank you for listening and see you next time. <laughs>